in the construction business and tired of dealing with the indifference of big corporate suppliers? Quality Supply and Tool on South Harding Street understands. For over 25 years, owner Kevin Ane has had a different approach. We at Quality Supply and Tool take pride in being a locally owned family business committed to service. And every customer's needs are different, and we truly believe in shaping our business to our customers' needs. That's what separates us from the competition. That's Quality Supply and Tool with additional locations in Bloomington, Jeffersonville, and Lafayette to serve Hoosiers better. Partner with Quality Supply and Tool and think outside the box store. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson. Brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greetings and salutations. Happy Thursday to you. Hoping for a busy day, of course, getting underway tomorrow for the GMR Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We have talked about a lot of the different stars on Beyond the Bricks of yesteryear. And again, to set the stage for you again tonight, thank you so much for listening to this show number nine of Beyond the Bricks in 2023. My name is Jake Query. That is the incredible audio archivist and just in general encyclopedic mind of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Mike Thompson. Mike, that's a fair assessment of you, is it not? Well, I think that's being very kind. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate the the plaudits. Uh, I I like I like to say that I'm an enthusiast. I don't know if I uh, sometimes people say you're a historian. I don't believe that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm an enthusiast and I love the the history of the speedway, but uh, I appreciate the plaudits nonetheless. Oftentimes, when we talk about something as in depth as we do the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, people might say, "Mike, well, you know, you should get a hobby." And my response would be, uh, "What do you think this is?" Right. Um, sure, we're able to do it for work, but for you, I know that going through and bringing back to life some of the personalities of the Indianapolis 500 over the years is not only a hobby of yours, but a passion as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I get a real, a real buzz out of the fact that you can hear audio from people that you never thought it was possible. I mean, we're going to hear later in the month, um, you know, I found an interview with Ed Elysian, who I had never heard his voice before. And Jerry Hoyt, same way. I had never, I didn't know what Jerry Hoyt sounded like. And you don't realize that that's, that's the case. I think it's, we, we take for granted that we know, you know, Marcus Erickson and Colton Herter. We know what those guys sound like because we hear them so often, but uh, you know, there's a lot of drivers that I, I was thinking about. And I'm thinking I've never heard their voice ever, you know, and I ran across some sound of Jerry Hoyt and I was, I, I got really, you know, excited. I was like, this is the first time I've ever heard Jerry Hoyt's voice. So, uh, yeah, I, I really, it's a passion for me to, to find this, these clips and it's really exciting for me to have the opportunity to share them. One of the names that we talked about in past shows here on beyond the bricks was the 1927 winner, which was George Souders of Lafayette who had attended Purdue University before winning the Indianapolis 500. That win, by the way, came on May 31st of 1927. That was just three days after the birth of our focus and spotlight tonight. And Mike, it is one of the stories, like so many at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that involves both triumph and tragedy. It involves laughter. It involves emotion. It involves sadness. But in totality, and I think tonight, even though we will obviously touch on some of the tragedy because it's part of the story, um, 
there is a celebration in the career of the man that was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania on May 28th of 1927. There's a reason he was known as the Clown Prince of Auto Racing and why he was so beloved, not by fans only, but by competitors as well. Tonight, Mike, we're going to talk about Eddie Sachs. Yeah, and I think um, when you think about Eddie Sachs, I think there's uh, two things that immediately come to mind. Obviously, one is the sad way we lost Eddie Sachs a lot of, for a lot of people. But for me, I think of Eddie Sachs with a smile on my face because that's every picture I ever see of Eddie Sachs, he has a smile on his face. And so I choose to remember Eddie Sachs with a smile on his face and and always laughing and always joking and always trying to have you could tell he was he was the guy who was always trying to have other people have fun. And uh, in some of these clips tonight, I think that's really going to come across. So uh, I hope people, you know, enjoy listening to Eddie because he was a very gifted storyteller and really uh, enjoyed people. I think, Mike, when we talk about Eddie Sachs, and I'm not talking about the way their careers ended, it would be disingenuous for me to say, obviously, that I knew Eddie Sachs. His racing career ended before I was alive. But in reading about him, in knowing about him, in talking to people like Donald Davidson that were around when he was racing, like the late Robin Miller, who you know talked to and knew and covered those races, I think Eddie Sachs, to put it in modern terms, so to speak, would probably be like a Dan Weldon in the fact that he was gregarious, he enjoyed a good laugh and a good prank, as you said, always smiling. But I also think, Mike, one of those drivers that the thing that made Dan Weldon so special, he was a guy that when he won the Indianapolis 500, fans felt like they were represented as a fan because he had a great appreciation for the race. He had a great understanding of the history of the race. And Dan Weldon would be the first to tell you, he, maybe he didn't have that when he first came there. But I think people felt like Dan Weldon's appreciation and humility when it came to the Indianapolis 500 made him themselves. They saw themselves in him. Tony Kadam would be very similar as well. Eddie Sachs is a guy that had that spirit during the course of his racing career. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. There's a there's a famous film uh, for television for CBS called On the Pole with Eddie Sachs. And when Back Home Again in Indiana is being sung, Eddie Sachs is weeping visibly weeping, carried away with emotion with how much he loved the Indianapolis 500, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And Dan was, I think, the same way. I I remember specifically a a very specific time I I had come through the tunnel and Dan was being interviewed on the public address by Tom Carnegie. And I didn't know how much Dan really had taken to the Speedway until I heard this interview and how much he loved the place and and he was just going on and on about how much the speedway meant to him and how much the fans meant to him and and it was you know there's sometimes you can you can tell it's like a it's almost like a wrestling like a throwaway line you're throwing to the crowd i mean that wasn't dan dan was being very genuine about his love and his appreciation and i think you're right i mean there's there's definitely similarities and dan one of the similarities i think between the two is you know dan always wanted people having fun and dan cared about people I think in the same way Eddie Sachs did from everything I've I've talked to people who knew Eddie Sachs and Eddie apparently was very great with fans. I mean, he signed a lot of autographs and, you know, I've seen I have pictures in my archive of Eddie Sachs mobbed. I mean, there's there's people he's inside the a ring of people. There's 25, 35 people around him and he's signing autographs for all these people. So 
you, you know, a great ambassador for the sport. Eddie Sachs, like so many of his era, cut his teeth, so to speak, within the USAC championship. As a matter of fact, he had multiple, multiple wins and impressive finishes throughout his 65 career USAC starts. He had 25 top five finishes for that matter, and he had eight wins over those 65. So basically you're looking at one in every eight times that he starts, he wins. That's part of how he won the 1958 USAC Midwest Sprint Car Championship. But of course it was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis 500 where so many made a name for themselves. And Eddie Sachs made a name for himself right out of the get-go, starting in the front row. As a matter of fact, the middle of it in 1957 as a rookie, a piston knocked him out of that race on lap 105. He returned in 1958, started in 18th place, and finished in 22nd. In 1959, back to the front row again, but a gear tower bolt on lap 182 would relegate him to a 17th place finish. Then Eddie Sachs, from a qualifying standpoint, breaks through. Mike, not once, but twice, Eddie Sachs became a pole setter at Indianapolis. That's right. And, and we're going to hear some an interview with Sid that he, he did with Eddie Sachs in 1961. And, and it, again, it shows kind of both sides of Eddie Sachs. There's the playful kind of fun side, but also he won the pole right after the, the tragic passing of Tony Bettenhausen. And you can tell how much losing Tony Bettenhausen meant to Eddie Sachs in this interview that we're going to hear in a few seconds. Um, it really definitely moved him. And so it really showed the two sides of Eddie Sachs. There, there was the fun, playful, you know, comedic side, but there was also a very serious side of him that shows through that that he he revered guys like Tony Bettenhausen. And it really meant a lot to him when, when they lost Tony Bettenhausen. So 1961, for the second straight year, Eddie Sachs was a pole sitter. As we'd mentioned, he won the pole in 1960. But again, all of a sudden, Lady Luck rears her ugly head, or his, depending on which way you want to look at it, I guess, on lap 132, and Eddie Sachs would finish 21st. Comes back 1961, wins the pole again, and then later talks to Sid Collins. He is one of our more loquacious drivers. For example, hiya. Hiya there, Sid, and it's really a pleasure to be on the pole position. If this last 12 to 15 minutes works out well, we'll have it made. Well, Eddie, does it make you feel a bit of a tingle to know that you have done something no other driver has ever done? Yes, Sid, because I, I had my heart in today, but the most important point was when I came into victory circle or into the qualification section, I really wanted to present Tony Homan with a present. I wanted to give him the 150 mile per hour lap for his 50th anniversary. And my 148 mile per hour lap was that effort. I made the effort and it didn't win for me this year, but I'll make that 150 lap for you. Well, I know that you've probably felt something very sincere in your heart about uh, your good friend who would have been here competing with us today, didn't you, Ed? I felt that we lost more than just a race driver. Everybody knows Tony Bentonhausen, but we lost, honestly, the greatest racing driver that ever lived in the history of this nation. Other drivers have been great, other drivers have been known, but Bentonhausen was the greatest competitor that I've ever known or ever come up against and ever saw in all of my life. He had the greatest and the biggest heart and the biggest competitive heart I've ever known or saw. 
Letty, as a great competitor yourself, I think it was well for you on the pole today to make that tribute to Tony's memory, and all race fans across the nation join you, I'm sure. Now, your record itself, you sat on the front row now four years out of your five at the track, haven't you? I've been on the front row four out of five times. In the second spot twice, in the first spot twice. That's right. And the 18th spot once. And the 18th spot once. Do you think the pole is extremely valuable to you on race day? It wasn't last year. I thought it might be. I thought I had the whole advantage, and when I got to the turn, I was third. But this year, I think I have the answer. This year, I'm going to... Now don't say anything you'll take back. All right. This year, I'm going to try to lead them into the first turn, just as a pole driver should. How do you get along with your boss, Al Dean? Oh, he, he's a terrific boss. He's building a new terminal in the city of Indianapolis, and we're trying to build up more business. And he tells me, Sachs, now you've got to learn how to get some sales so that you can retire from the racing business someday. Looks as though you're starting very well using our full network, Eddie. Well, if I can <laughs> possibly get sales for Dean Van Lines, just tell him that Eddie Sachs told you to call. Well, Eddie, congratulations to you for the golden anniversary double pole position win for yourself. Thank you, Sid. Now, Eddie Sachs that year obviously went on to secure the pole, that interview taking place before it was confirmed he would be the pole sitter but he became the pole sitter and had a heck of a run in 1961 as a matter of fact it was may 30th of 1961 that was the 45th running of the indianapolis 500 mile race eddie Sachs starting in the middle of row number one and a whale of a day he led six different times for 44 laps most notably within the last four laps of the race eddie Sachs was leading but it was in that race, late in the race, when it looked like he had a win in hand with just a couple of laps to go, Eddie Sachs suddenly surprised everybody by coming to pit road. Of course, that cost him the win. He finished second. This is how it sounded on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network in 1961. Now coming oh, in for a pit Sachs. stop is Eddie Sachs. A surprise, oh, a pit wait. stop for Eddie Sachs coming in. Let's see if we can pick him up from here because John Peterson is not in the south pit. He's gone to victory lane. So it's a great break for A.J. Foyt. And if he passes him in this pit now, Eddie Sachs will come in second instead of first. As we said, this 500-mile race goes 500 miles. With three laps to go, Eddie Sachs is in the pit. And now he's being uh, pushed. And they're still working and going by as A.J. Foyt takes the lead from Eddie Sachs in the South third with three laps to go. And now we still have the question of whether Foyt's car has enough fuel to finish the race. Now the issue there, Mike, was simple. And that is that Eddie Sachs, late in the race, had to make a decision. One was, do I push for the win and quite possibly put myself in a safety jeopardy? And the other was, do I come in, pit, take care of the situation at hand, and then go back out and finish probably in the second position? Obviously, with three laps to go, when he saw his rear tire starting to come apart, he made the decision to go ahead and still finish the race, sacrificing the win. Yeah, and he had the famous quote, you know, I'd, I'd rather be, you know, second than, than dead. And, um, you know, it was a tough decision for him because, you know, he, he so desperately wanted to win the 500. But, you know, he looked at that situation and, and thought that the tire was just not going to make it. And so he ended up uh, with... If, you know, he had the opportunity, he could have either tried to nurse it home and, and win the race or come in, you know, a, a sure second by pitting. And he took the sure second by pitting. And it's one of those things that, you know, with bench racing has been debated for, for decades. You know, could he have made it? And what decision would you have made in that, you know, in that situation? And people say, you know, I would have kept going and the tire blew, the tire blew, you know. And 
And that's just the decision Eddie Sachs had to make at that point. And he decided to stop and, and it ended up, he ended up second place to AJ Foyt. And so, of course, AJ Foyt goes on to get the win, the first of four. So a legendary career is launched as well with AJ Foyt. I had mentioned that in the year that Eddie Sachs was born, 1927, George Souders was the Indianapolis 500 mile race winner. And in fact, their paths would cross. It came in 1963. I'm sure amongst other times. But Sachs spoke to the Kiwanis Club in Lafayette, Indiana, and as he was speaking, he noticed that one of those in attendance was the Lafayette native and 1927 winner, George Souders. Eddie Sachs referenced him in his speech to the Kiwanis Club. George Souders knows exactly how I feel. I'm not trying to tell you how old he is, but I was born in 1927. And George Sauter has been the only racing driver that I have ever really, an ex-winner of the race, a winner of the Indianapolis 500, that I have felt that in my heart that this man I would want to be part of me because he won the race two days after I was born. And gosh, last year and the year before last, I've always looked him up, I've always found him, and I've always had a photographer take a picture of George and I because, boy, I wanted that 1927 winner and that winner of that year's race with a picture of the two of us. And I'm really proud of you, George. I'm really proud of you. Nick Yeoman, who works on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network with me, uh, a network in which Mike has obviously worked as well. Nick is from Lafayette. And about, a oh, I don't know, two or three years ago, he really did kind of a deep dive, as we call it, on George Souders and tried to learn more about him. And he actually sent me the following text just yesterday about him. He said he was really smart and a hardworking blue-collar guy. He was the valedictorian at Lafayette Jeff and was studying engineering at Purdue when his father died. So he dropped out of Purdue to run his dad's auto repair shop. He got into racing and won the 500 as a rookie in 1927. He finished third in 1928 and then badly hurt his arm in a crash and retired from racing. He ran a gas station in Lafayette, worked the grounds of the Purdue golf course, And he worked as a janitor at St. Elizabeth Hospital, which, by the way, is where Nick Yeoman works now when he's not at races. He said he had a small double-wide trailer that burnt down in a fire years later, and a bunch of other 500 drivers pooled their money together to buy him a very small house. He is buried in Battleground, Indiana, and had a very modest tomb before a group of Indy 500 fans about 30 years ago did some fundraising, including a community softball game, to give him a proper headstone to signify his Indianapolis 500 championship mike that sounds like the story that a guy like eddie Sachs can relate to just an everyday guy that when they won it was a victory for the people in the stands because they felt like that was kind of themselves winning the race so to speak oh absolutely i mean eddie Sachs. you have to remember eddie Sachs wanted to be around the speedway so much he was washing dishes you know during the month of may just to be able to be around the speedway and one of the things that i love about that clip is just the pride in his voice of, you know, every year I look this guy up and every year I want a picture with him. And, and I like to, you know, Donald always says, I want to know who knew who, when, and, you know, I, I always kind of get gratified by, you know, who was friends with who. And just to think of the fact that Eddie Sachs had that much affinity for George Souders and, you know, looked him up every year and, and, you know, cared enough about him to, to call him out in a speech, you know, I, that warms my heart a little bit. I, I would like to find one of those pictures of George Souders and Eddie Sachs and, and look at it and just say, you know, this was two people who 
you know, kind of unlikely became friends. So, you know, I just it just kind of warms my heart thinking of the fact that Eddie Sachs became friends with George Souders. When we come back, we turn back the clock on Eddie Sachs' career a little bit back to the beginning, all the way back to when he was a rookie and what all went into finally getting the opportunity to race in the 500 itself. And we'll talk about that and hear about it from the voice of the clown prince of auto racing, Eddie Sachs. This is Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And we are most appreciative of their sponsorship towards this program. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson, Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison among those behind the scenes. Todd Meyer as well. There are a host of people that help put together Beyond the Bricks. I think obviously it goes without saying that Donald Davidson and his tutelage for both Mike and myself in his knowledge of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, always kind of a contributing factor to not only some of the information we can pass along, but just the inspiration to be able to have the enthusiasm for the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Tonight, talking about one of the more popular drivers in the history of the famed two-and-a-half-mile oval that sits, that sits at 16th of Georgetown, Eddie Sachs, who came to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, as we had talked about, after a successful career in USAC. But, you know, Mike, this is still the case today, maybe not as much as it was back then. But the reality is back then that, you know, you drove in USAC and you were running on, you know, different tracks throughout the Midwest, under lights on Fridays and Saturday nights and hitching your, putting your car in the back of your trailer and going to the next place to race the next night. And the ultimate goal for so many drivers was to tabulate enough wins, enough sponsors, enough results to get yourself to Indianapolis. That's absolutely the case. And you have to think about a guy like Eddie Sachs. Um, you know, we think now, um, you know, the drivers who, you know, they're they're making their debut in the IndyCar series. And then a couple races later, they're driving their first Indianapolis 500, right? Um, you know, Eddie Sachs drove his first, you know, AAA race in 1953. And didn't make his first Indianapolis 500 until, you know, four years later. It was such an accomplishment to make the Indianapolis 500 in so many, so many ways of, you know, you know, to beat out so many, you know, legendary drivers and, and you know, people who, you know, a guy like Sachs, it meant so much for him to to make it into the just even make it into the 500 at the time so you know, you're right you you cut your teeth in times in AAA and then when AAA went out and then it became USAC you know you you had to make a name for yourself I and mean, some guys came up through IMCA I mean guy like Bobby Grimm who we you know won all those IMCA titles I mean he went a different route one when IMCA to, to make it into USAC I mean Johnny Rutherford did the same thing Johnny Rutherford was a star in IMCA before before getting noticed but but you're right I mean you had to you had to make a name for yourself coming on coming up on the way uh, to AAA into USAC so Eddie Sachs goes through the rookie test it's not always easy a lot of people will tell you the rookie test can be hard because you have to drive at different speed increments it can be a challenge you know you're under the watchful eye Mike this first thing that we're going to hear is Eddie Sachs talking about his first rookie test and I assume this is before he actually got the clearance to go out and then run the race correct this is no. This is actually a story. A lot of these sound bites are from this 1963 Kiwanis Club uh, dinner. So he, at this point, has driven in the 500 and led the 500, but he's relaying stories from his past. So it's kind of a fun story about you know taking the rookie test for the first time at Indianapolis. So here is Eddie Sachs talking about exactly that. Nobody wanted to hire me for Indianapolis, <laughs> but the following year, a man hired me. 
Fellas, I'm hired to drive this, the 500-mile race, and i got to take my driver's test. And you all know what it's like, the 10 laps at each speed. I'm on 105 test, and quickly and easily, with my mathematical training, with my college education, and the knowledge that I had as a racing driver, I quickly figured out that it was ridiculous what these other drivers were doing. 105 miles per hour, average speed. They want me to run 10 laps, and all these drivers that I've been watching do this lift their foot at the end of the straightaways, coast through the turns. They just get on the gas on the straightaways. It's ridiculous. With a paper and pencil, the tire size, the gear ratio, I figured out that 3,800 RPMs was 105 miles per hour. And I drew a red line through 3,800 and rolled from the pits and made 10 consecutive perfect 105 mile an hour laps around the Indianapolis Speedway. They thought I was a genius. Man, I didn't even get a bad lap. Boy, I'm in the pits and they're patting me and I'm really good and boy, that's a terrific kid. And now I went back to the garage and I got the paper and the pencil. Next test is 115. Boy, and I figured it out. 4,300 RPMs. Drew a red line through 4,300. I left the pits through the first and the second turn, boy, and I'm on the back straightaway, and I drove the needle up, 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 and I got her to 4,300, and I leveled her off, and I held her steady. Now, when you're on a driver's test, you must always stay over on the inside half of the track because the track is open for practice. And let's take Roger Ward as an example. If Roger Ward were practicing, and I'm running a 115-mile-an-hour test, when he passes you, it's something like this. So, boy, you stay way over on the inside. I'm way over on the inside. And by the way, when you're way over on the inside, it's just like this. The Indianapolis Speedway is built like a great rectangle. If you're over against the outside wall, when you get down to the here, you can turn from the outside and come across the inside and come or skim across the corner and then drift back up to the wall again. But when you're on the inside of the track, when you get down to the end down here, it's a solid left-hand turn. Man, I got her there at 4,300 and I'm holding her steady. And as I entered into the third turn and turn left, I was going just a little bit too fast. Now I knew I was going too fast and I knew that I had lost control of the car because the first thing that I heard was the voice of Firestone. <laughs> the voice of Firestone. All of a sudden you hear this. Men, they had always told me, many, all the old time drivers had told me, if you ever lose control of a car, if you ever lose a control of the car at the speedway, get set for it. Get ready to hit that concrete wall because it's a tremendous concussion. Reach down between your legs and dry, grab the drive shaft. Boy, and I reached down and I grabbed the drive shaft. Man, I got her and I got a hold of that drive shaft. I'm hanging on to that drive shaft and I've got my head ducked down and I'm pulling myself tight and I said to myself, when am I going to hit the wall? 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 Fellas, that car spun three and a half times, went 565 feet, never hit a thing, 
stopped on the infield perfectly safe. But I don't know that. Man, I'm down there waiting to hit that wall. Eventually, Eddie Sachs, who, as you can tell, and this is fabulous audio, Mike, just fantastic. Eventually, Eddie Sachs passed his rookie test, which, of course, leads to another story. In 1953, I failed my driver's test. Naturally, I explained to you how. In 1954, I returned to the track and failed my driver's test. I became the first man in the history of the Indianapolis Speedway to fail his driver's test twice. There have been some men that have failed it once and have never come back. There have been some men who have failed it once, have come back and passed it. But there has never been anybody that has failed it twice. In 1955, I failed my driver's test again. I made sure that nobody would ever break my records. And in 1956, I passed the driver's test and became the first man in the history of the track to run a 40-lap test. I ran 10 consecutive 105s, 10 consecutive 115s, 10 consecutive 120s, 10 consecutive 125s. We didn't have a speedometer. We didn't have a tachometer. We didn't even have an oil pressure gauge in the cockpit with me. We took all the gauges out of the car and we just put me in there. And without, with just me in the seat of my pants, we ran the most perfect driver's test that has ever been run in the history of the track. And immediately they called a big press conference. And all the newspaper men and the TV and the radio guys, they all assembled at one point and they all started shooting questions at me. And the first question, one newspaper man said, how did you do it? And I looked at all of them and I said, well, fellas, I've had more experience than all the other drivers. (laughs) And then I qualified for the race. And I was the 34th fastest. I missed her by one slot. And that one slot changed my whole life. It's funny how things can happen to you. But I stood there. If a man couldn't start the race, I could go. I had my engine running. They're on the pace lap. If the 33 can't start, I can go. And all of a sudden, they're coming off the number four corner, and they're coming down for the start, and I climbed out of my own cockpit and stood on the tail of my racing car trying to watch the start of the race. And a newspaper man ran up, and a a radio fellow with a microphone on a worldwide radio, and he's telling the people all over the world that right here sits a man ready to go. If one man can't go, if one man can't start, Eddie Sachs is right here, and he's ready to go. Let's see what happens. They're coming down for the start. Here they come, and and they all go by, and all 33 cars are running. Eddie, Eddie. And we're on worldwide radio, armed services overseas. My, my God, and the man says to me, Eddie, 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 were you hoping that somebody would have bad luck so that you could start the race? And I grabbed that mic from that fella, and I took a hold of it, and I said, no, I wasn't wishing anybody would have bad luck, because next year, I wouldn't want anybody to wish me bad luck. There is an irony that we will probably get to in that, but what a personality. Not only a guy with a good sense of humor, Mike, but clearly somebody that also had that humor that carried over, not just from a driving sense, but into the business world as well. 
Absolutely. And, and I, as I said, he was a gifted storyteller and, and he was a businessman. He he went into he ran a van lines. I mean, he drove for Dean Van Lines racing team and he would also drive for American Red Bull. And he had his own van lines, Speedway van lines. And he relates kind of a humorous story about a potential joking sabotage of the, the Lotus cars that were going to be the big thing in 1963. And in our racing business last week, again, the rear engine machines proved what the Lotus Ford proved the other day at the Indianapolis Speedway, that we all had obsolete equipment and that there are going to be major, major changes in the profession. And over the next three to four years now, you will see radical changes. You will see cars of the future start to come out and they will be all rear, rear engine machines. The last week at Trenton, they had a Cooper at the track and this darn Cooper <laughs> created a tremendous problem. And do you mind if I give somebody a plug? Please do. Competition. All right. Yeah, you won't like it after I say it. Uh, <clears throat> a week from Saturday, watch your ABC Wide World of Sports. And you'll see the Trenton race on ABC Wide World of Sports a week from Saturday. And you'll see what's going to happen at your Indianapolis 500 mile race. You're going to see what's going to happen on all the major racetracks of the nation when these Coopers and Lotus cars start performing against our Offenhauser cars and our A.J. Watson chassis and so forth. I understand, though, getting back to these Lotus Fords, that uh, <clears throat> they may not get to Indianapolis because... Uh, Aren't they coming into Detroit, and then they're, yeah. they're supposed to be, uh, is there a Speedway Van Lines? A Speedway Van Lines, Are right. you connected with this line at all? I'm president of it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're responsible for getting these Fords to Indianapolis. I'm responsible for getting the Lotus Fords to Indianapolis Speedway. Have you given your driver any instructions? <laughs> I told him to, when he wrecks it to make sure it's a total wreck. <laughs> Completely demolished. <laughs> They're going to fly the cars. The Lotus automobiles will arrive in the United States uh, sometime Friday morning, I would imagine. And when they land, we will clear them through customs at Detroit, Michigan. And immediately upon clearing them through customs, we will load them inside of one of my vans and their equipment and... The best man that I have on the road is going to drive them right straight from Detroit to the Indianapolis Speedway, and I would imagine that they will arrive sometime Saturday evening late and will unload them Sunday on the day of the Yankee 300. And we'll unload them. I don't know where we're going to get all of the photographers we're going to need. Because <laughs> I'm even going to buy some myself. But we're bringing them in. And honestly, if, the, if my man does have a wreck, I would appreciate it if each of you would say a prayer. That if we do have a wreck, that he does totally demolish them. <laughs> Eddie Sachs, the feature tonight on Beyond the Bricks. And when we come back... We will hear Eddie Sachs talking about one of the later races in his career and then the totality of the career of Eddie Sachs and what came clearly to a tragic end, but a triumphant spirit that we pay our respects to tonight. More on Eddie Sachs.
Jake Quarry, Mike Thompson, Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Thank you to those of you who are listening tonight to our tribute, our look back at one of the great personalities, one of the great men and great drivers in the history of the Indianapolis 500, Eddie Sachs, who we led off the show by talking about how he was very vociferous. He was very transparent about what the Indianapolis 500 meant to him. So what better thing to do than to play for you the audio before the 1963 Indianapolis 500-mile race on what this great event meant to Eddie Sachs in his own words. And the following year, front row, second spot. The following year, 18th spot. And I was in second spot at the end of lap one. The next year, I was in second spot. The next year, I was on the pole, and I darn near won the race. And then the following year, I did win the race, but they paid A.J. Foyt for it. (laughs) And I got second. And then last year, started 27th and worked my way to third. And fellas, if any one of you have ever bet on me, you have lost. But this year, this year, double up. Because, boy, we're going all the way to victory lane. We're going to end my career as a racing driver. And, fellas, if the guys at the racing world, if the guys at the Indianapolis Speedway, if all those drivers would just let me win the race, they could be rid of me real easy. (laughs) Be the fastest way they could ever get rid of me. Eddie Sachs in 1963 would start 10th. He was involved in an accident on lap 181 and finished 17th. In 1964, Eddie Sachs, the clown prince of racing, started 17th in the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And I think most people know by now he was involved in a horrific accident with Dave McDonald, who was a rookie started in front of Eddie Sachs. It is not our job, even some 60 years later, to figure out or assess any sort of a blame as to what happened, but to rather say there was an incident with the two drivers involved, and both were fatally injured. This is how it sounded on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network in the 1964 lap two crash of Dave McDonald and Eddie Sachs. The yellow caution flag is being waved. The yellow light is on. There's an accident on the main stretch. Up in front of us, Jim Shelton, can you see it? Out of the fourth turn, there's a car burning. Jim, come in. Smith, there has been a spectacular crash, almost at the head of the main stretch. There's so much fire and so much smoke, it's un- I am unable to see any car at all. Now the smoke is clearing away. We'll try to get the glasses on it, and perhaps somebody from uh, the tower can see, Sid. Somebody did not uh, make that number four all the way around and kerwoom right into the fence. And the uh, yellow caution light is out. These drivers are using extreme caution and we must compliment each and every one. There is, seems to be, a fire in the pit area right now. That fire was a huge ball of fire and, of course, a black cloud, literally and figuratively, over the greatest sporting event in the world. And unfortunately, as we often say and often hear, it is that fine line of the danger and the risk that, of course, was always there and always present, and nobody knew it better than Eddie Sachs. It goes without saying. 
But Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald's fatal injuries were confirmed in that exact same day. And later in what is now a very famous clip, Sid Collins, the voice and chief announcer of the Indianapolis 500 and Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, gave his impromptu eulogy of Eddie Sachs. And now here's an announcement of the public address system. Can we pick this up? It is with deepest regret that we make this announcement. Driver Eddie Sachs was fatally injured in the accident on the main straightaway. You heard the announcement from the public address system. There's not a sound. Men are taking off their hats. People are weeping. Over 300,000 fans here are not moving, uh, disbelieving. Some men try to conquer life in a number of ways. In these days of our outer space attempts, some men try to conquer the universe. Race drivers are courageous men who try to conquer life and death, and they calculate their risks. And in our talking with them over the years, um, I think we know their inner thoughts in regard to racing. They take it as a part of living. No one is, is moving uh, on the racetrack. They're standing silently. A race driver who leaves this earth uh, mentally when he straps himself into the cockpit uh, to try for what to him is the biggest conquest he can make. is aware of the odds, and Eddie Sachs played the odds. He was serious and frivolous. He was fun. He was a wonderful gentleman. He took much needling and gave much needling, and just as the astronauts do, perhaps. Um, these boys on the race track ask no quarter, and they give none. If they succeed, they're a hero, and if they fail, they tried. And it was Eddie's desire, I'm sure, and will, to try with everything he had, which he always did. So the only healthy way, perhaps, we can approach the tragedy of the loss of a friend like Eddie Sachs is to know that he would have wanted us to face it, as he did, as it has happened, not as we wish it would have happened. It is God's will, I'm sure, and uh, we must accept that. We're all speeding toward death at the rate of 60 minutes every hour. The only difference is that we don't know... Uh, how to speed faster, and Eddie Sachs did, and so since death has a thousand or more doors, Eddie Sachs exits this earth in a race car. Knowing Eddie, I assume that's the way he would have wanted it. In fact, just a year earlier, Eddie Sachs confirmed perhaps that exact assumption. Mike, it is not fun to talk on that subject, but it is fun to talk on the subject of the life of Eddie Sachs, the personality of Eddie Sachs, and as you so skillfully came up with tonight, the audio and the words and the laughter of Eddie Sachs tonight. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. The brilliance of Eddie Sachs and the brilliance of Sid Collins, I'm always happy to, to talk about any of that. We'll talk about more from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We'll talk about more from the Indianapolis 500 Tomorrow night at the exact same time. And I appreciate all of you for listening. Thanks again to Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison, Todd Meyer, Mike Thompson, and all of you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bricks.